quack, quack, quack. Okay, so we just lost to the Huskies in epic, uh, somewhat meltdown fashion. I know our hearts are ripped out of our bodies, but guess what? There's a game coming up, and it doesn't matter what either team looks like on paper. The Washington State Cougars are ready to pounce, especially on a team that's still thinking about last week's loss. So very excited to talk to our guests here. First of all, of course, Hithliday of Addicted to Quack. How are you doing, Hithliday? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good. I, I, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm a little bit over the Washington uh, loss. I, I feel like, like a lot of other Duck fans, just trying to be optimistic, hoping we'll see them again, basically. And But to do that, we will definitely need to beat the Washington State Cougars, who uh, have had a bit of an up-and-down season, um, but still very, very dangerous. And to do that, I figured we should dive into this roster with our new friend. Maybe our, you know, we may not talk to this friend for a while because we may not play this team in uh, who knows when, but uh, very excited to talk to Jamie Vinnick. How you doing, Jamie? I'm great. How you guys doing? Oh, man. Uh, Pac-12, it's final death season. It has been dramatic, hasn't it? It certainly has. It certainly has. <laughs> well, uh, we don't need to, you, you know, uh, stall this out. I, I'm really interested in this roster. Um, Hithley, why don't you lead us through it? So uh, I've got um, a potentially very tough question for you, Jamie. Um, sure. I, I, you will now be the third Wazoo writer that I've asked this question of in the last couple of years. And I suspect I'm going to get like the fifth different answer. So I think it, it might be a little tricky. You ready? I'm ready. Is Cameron Ward a good quarterback? Uh, that is a tricky question. I would say yes. I would say yes with the, you know, the fine print of he also has the ability to be a very bad quarterback. I think overall, yes, I think he is a good quarterback. I think there is enough evidence that he has shown that he is a good quarterback. I think the issue with Cam is his highs are very high. His lows are very, very low. He doesn't have the, you know, really the middle ground. There hasn't been a game necessarily in the last two years where, yeah, Cam played okay. It's either Cam played great or Cam did not play great. Um, and luckily for Washington State, they've won 11 games in the last two years, uh, have only lost now seven or eight, excuse me. Um, so more times than not, or more often than not, he's played, he has played well. I, I think the one thing that he has done, well, I guess up until the last couple of games, is he took care of the ball for the better part. Of yeah, the I know, the last man. Year. Like every good thing that you might say about Cam Word, there's like a, Except for. Right, right. And I think one of those was, you know, the first few games last year, he turned it over a tunnel. Then he stopped doing it. And then the first few games this year, he didn't turn it over besides a couple of fumbles and a couple of those were on the offensive line. And then now he's turned it over uh, four times in two games. So it's uh, it's a very, it just you just don't know. He's kind of a wild card. I would say, again, I would say, yes, he is a good quarterback. But I would also say that he is an, an inconsistent quarterback at times, especially over the last two weeks. Let's put a 
pin in the uh, the turnovers thing because I, I there is something that I want to talk about with that, um, but it's not necessarily specific to the quarterback or quarterbacks. That's another thing I want to talk about. Uh, but regarding Cam Ward, th- you know, the thing that I-, I watched him a little bit before he transferred to Wazoo, he was an incarnate word. I watched a little bit of that film. I was also trying to familiarize myself with Eric Morris and hey, I got a two for one and or three for one because they also brought a receiver. It was very clear he had a command of that air raid offense and it's also interesting too because like eric morris and texas tech mike leach zach kitley houston baptist western kentucky like there's this whole ball of interconnected air raid sort of disciples you know that's very interesting that i've been paying attention to you you may be aware that uh oregon played texas tech earlier this season their offensive coordinator is zach kitley who was at western kentucky in 2021 um where uh ben arbuckle who is currently uh uh wazoo's offensive coordinator was a ga um and uh uh uh, and also Carlos Lachlan, who is Oregon's current running backs coach, was, you know, their running backs coach. So uh, I, I, I've been watching like a ton of film on this whole like ball of uh, <laughs> this, <laughs> this whole group of dudes. Anyway, Cam Ward, when I was watching him at Incarnate Word, you know, the two things that popped was like, this dude is very confident. This dude is very comfortable in the air raid system. This dude's throwing motion is garbage. Um I then watch him at Wazoo. I didn't buy any of the criticisms that people were making about Cam Ward. Like, oh, FBS defenses are are too much for him. Like, he can't handle the speed of that game. I didn't buy that at all. What I did buy was that his throwing motion was garbage. And that, like, you just, it's not that, like, he couldn't process the field fast enough to handle FBS defenses. It's that FBS defenses will pick you apart if, you know, you're, if you have a bad throwing motion like you can't throw it deep you can't place you know the ball accurately you just can't like get away with it so what i was really curious about was some of these reports over the offseason that cam warded like worked with a quarterback's coach and corrected his footwork and was throwing the ball like like a normal quarterback and was throwing the ball properly and i was kind of skeptical that would ever happen but then lo and behold i was watching this film early in the season it was like Oh my God, he did it. Like he's throwing the ball like a proper quarterback. I'll let me take a pause there. This is basically true through the Oregon State game. Uh, I'm like, oh my God, Cam Ward did it. He's throwing the ball properly. He's planting his feet. He's transferring his weight. He's he's rotating his hips. Uh, he's 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 getting his his power transferred correctly into his arm and down the field uh, through his fingertips and out the ball goes. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe it. He he has actually done it. I will now stop there. I know I've been talking for a little while, Jamie. What do you think about all of that? You know, I think you hit it on the head is that he they talked about in the offseason how his mechanics changed both with his his footwork and with his throwing motion. And, you know, I think a lot of my my original reaction was, okay, let's see. Are they just saying that? And then, you know, you see it a a little bit in spring ball. You came back uh, for fall camp and it was like, okay, this is this is better. Still wasn't great, but better. Um, And then, you know, you get to that first game and it's like, it looks completely different. And it's like, okay, mate, now maybe he really is fixed. Like this would be great for Washington state. Um, and then, you know, the last two games, I think he kind of reverted to some old habits. Um, you know, I, again, I don't think you can put uh, what happened in the last two entirely on him. There, there's a lot of issues at hand, but yeah, 
I, I do think that, that he is a different quarterback than he was last year. He's a better quarterback than he was last year. Um, I think he's more confident. I, I think the big issue has just been uh, it's, you know, sometimes when the pocket collapses, his decision-making can collapse too. He doesn't always make the best decision. Maybe he doesn't always, you know, know when it's time to throw it away. And again, I think it's improved. But no, he, he is a better quarterback than he was a year ago, mechanically, um, you know, arm talent-wise and so on. I think it's just it's now being that quarterback consistently because the last two games have been more of 2022, Cameron Ward. I Yeah, that's basically my theory about Ward is that, uh, like, I, I do actually think it is for real that he's made significant strides in how to put this in deliberately correcting his throwing motion and his mechanics. And I furthermore think a lot of what was wrong in 2021 was that he hadn't done that work and that Eric Morris sort of shame on him for, for letting it go that long. There's going to be a couple areas in which I'm going to wrap on Eric Morris. I think, I think he did a lot of things wrong to be perfectly honest with you. I, I would agree with that. I, I get to do that, right? <laughs> He's gone now. Yeah, no, I would uh, agree that there was a lot that he did not do well. <laughs> um. So anyway, I, I th- th- that's sort of like part one is I, I think that he has made it is that that's not imaginary. Like I sort of thought it was. Like I like whenever somebody says, "Oh, he's done a lot of work in the off season to get better," I was sort of like, mm, "Okay, no, he actually did." Like, I, like I, I actually really buy that he put work, and I think it's deliberate. But here's sort of like the the other side, and you you said this, but I agree with it. Is that like I I I think it is deliberate, and it's not just like it or it is not yet anyway. Maybe if he moves on to the next level, you know, it will it will become like ingrained in him more but like right now i think it's like he still has to think about it he still has to make a deliberate effort to 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 throw with like proper mechanics and so when stuff is going wrong he sort of reverts so when stuff goes wrong it compounds like and it compounds fast so sort of like that's my basic theory is that when cam ward is a good quarterback he's a good quarterback and when he's a you know when stuff is going wrong stuff goes really wrong and that's sort of why you get this jekyll and hyde stuff um and and without like a gooey middle you know in between okay so i think we're on the same page there so like next next thing boy there's a bunch of stuff to talk about what what orders talk about let's talk about the offensive line okay yeah I was really skeptical that this offensive line was going to get better over the offseason. It was one of like the longest sections uh, of my uh, offseason preview was, you know, because they, you know, they lost a bunch of starters, right? Uh, Jarrett Kingston, who frankly, I was never really in love with his left tackle, but whatever, they lost him. Quinn McCarthy, Grant Stevens. They brought back Connor Gomnis, who's been the, the center like forever they brought back christian hillborn who is like who's a guard they tried him out as tackle he sucks at tackle they've recently tried him out again at tackle which like guess what he still sucks at tackle let's see what else uh they had that whole problem last year where they couldn't figure out who a good right tackle was going to be between maaki fafita and faili faamoe this year what they have done is they brought in a juco esapole who's really interesting he's a big dude he he's like a former basketball player he just started playing football like i think two or three years ago something like that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah about two years ago 
so they, uh, uh, I think the staff was like pretty excited about him as being like a potentially really high upside, you know, dude at left tackle. He was playing with the ones in the spring game. He earned the job at left tackle. Um, and then they were like, well, this solves all of our problems for us. We get to uh, stay with Hillborn at guard, which is where he should be. We get, of course, Gomnus gets to continue at center. We get to keep Fifita at right guard, which is probably where he's better suited to play. And then we'll just go with Fa'amoe at right tackle. He played right tackle and he's probably our best option, which frankly, I think if Fa'amoe is your best option at right tackle means you should have done more work here but like okay fine I, I think they figured it once they got pole it's sort of like it made all the other puzzle pieces click into place and that, that you know that they were done let me pause here I, I got all that that recitation of facts right uh for by the conclusion of the offseason right yeah, essentially. Um, I would just say the one the one other piece that they kind of brought in with some hope was was Christian Kanu from Southern Utah. Yeah, uh, but I don't think we've seen him, right? Role. He's played a little bit. Um they, no. they kind of they've used him in the first game and then he played a little bit in um he, he played in the northern Colorado game because Poley no. was out. But he he Oh he I haven't I'm sorry, I haven't watched that's the one game I haven't watched is the FCS game. So Yeah, there wasn't much to watch. Yeah, I kind of figured. But uh, he was, yeah, he was brought in, I think, with the hope that maybe he could win a job, but it just didn't happen. I mean, he's a nice depth piece, but I think they were maybe hoping he could take a an offensive, one of the offensive line jobs on the right side, and it just hasn't happened. Guys uh, beat him out. Okay. So now, having recited what, what the status was at the conclusion of the offseason and going into the beginning of the season, now let me jump to the end, or or not the end, the where we are right now. Um, and then we'll sort of work backwards a little bit. Uh, the line has not worked out, I think, that well. Um, uh, the the, the uh, I don't think Pole has turned out to be all of the left tackle that they have hoped him to be. He was sort of getting destroyed against UCLA the week before last. And then to start out in the first half against Arizona, they tried out a different solution where Pole was on the bench. They moved Hillborn back to left tackle, which I was really kind of like pinching the bridge of my nose about that. Um, they moved a uh, Fifita from uh, right guard to left guard because Hillborn had moved over from to left tackle. They brought Brock Dew off the bench to play right guard. Brock Dew, I think, is like their future at center when Gomnus finally leaves after like his 17th year at Wazoo. So like I kind of got Brock Dew playing like that. That one kind of made sense to me. But anyway, you know, they still have the problem with you. Know, frankly, I don't think is a great right tackle, and I still don't think they have a good solution at left tackle. If the best answer that they have is Hillborn, because they already tried that and it didn't work. And so, like, kind of Arizona ate their lunch. And then in the second half, they sort of, they didn't quite go back to the original solution because, you know, Brock Dew was still in. Uh, I'm not sure what happened to Fafita. Actually, let me pause for a second. Is Fafita injured, or do you know what the deal is there? No, not an injury. They were just trying something new, and I just okay. Real quick, Fafita was playing right guard, and Dew is actually at left guard. Just the oh, they were oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. Uh, it's 65, 66. That's why I had it. Yep, the numbers are so close. Uh, anyway, the uh, that I think is the situation. I don't have a whole lot more to say here. I think it's just the offensive line is sort of a problem. I think the offensive line was a big part of the problem last year, and I think what they've just sort of found is 
oh no, the problem isn't solved. And also, oh no, we don't have an, uh, like the, the solution's not in Pullman like right now. And, and like, we got like six more games to play. Um, I, I think this has implications for it's to sort of solve other, you know, potentially solve other, you know, puzzle pieces. Uh, but like, I, I, I want to get your input. Like, is that also your interpretation about what the status of the offensive line is? Yeah. You know, I think the offensive line, it's an interesting conversation for this year because the first four games, they were a lot better. I mean, they were, they played yes. very well against Oregon state. That well, they did play very good uh, well against Oregon State. Although I don't think that's a surprise because I think even though I know they're highly rated, even in advanced stats, but having watched multiple games of Oregon State at this point, I actually think that that uh, Oregon State's defense just sucks out loud, and that they're the the stats are getting fooled by something, and that their defense just totally sucks. So like that that doesn't uh, affect cause me you know any worries at all. The game that causes me to like totally freak out and not understand is the offensive line seemed like they were playing pretty well against Wisconsin and Wisconsin is rated. I don't think that team is very good this year. Frankly, I'm not trying to take away anything for from Wazoo for beating them, beating them twice, you know, good for Wazoo. But but like, I don't really think the Wisconsin is great, but their defense is ranked number 15 F plus and they weren't really getting any pressure and I don't get it, man. Like I don't, do you have Jamie, do you have a theory for what was going on in the Wisconsin game? Do you think that Wisconsin's defense is secretly overrated the way that I think that Oregon state's defense is secretly overrated or in the alternate, do you think that Wisconsin's defense is pretty good or, and Wazoo's offensive line was holding up great. And then I don't know, something happened and, and they flipped the switch to, to evil. Like what, what, what do you think, Jamie? You know, I think the Wisconsin game, there was there was a kind of a tale of two stories. It was midway through the third is when they, they kind of struggled a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, some pressure started to get home, and the offense kind of started to slide, but they closed out very well. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Oregon State, uh, I I think, you know, just to even keep them really off the board with – I think they had one – they gave up one sack. There was one corner blitz, and Oregon State yeah. sacked them seven times last season. Yeah. You know, I, I think – you know, the UCLA game, I think, was as much of a product of UCLA as anything and just the unbelievable talent they have on that defensive line with the Murphy Twins mm-hmm. and with Latu. You know, this last Arizona game was interesting because there were times where Ward had no had absolutely no time to throw. And then there were instances where he did have time to throw, and it was a matter of he just was missing his throw. So, you know, I, I think when it comes to this offensive line, it's, it, it's green in a lot of ways. I mean – Pole's only been playing football a couple years. Uh, Famoe was a defense alignment until last January, and then they flipped him over. Yeah. You know, Hillborn has bounced in and out, and he's still only in his third year and basically won a year without coaching because uh, Mark Weber was such a mess in 2021. Um, uh, yeah, just- that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he took two two recruits in the 2021 class and I didn't know, coach man. anybody. So Clay McGuire had to basically start from scratch. So I think – you know, they're just the nature of the guys they have. There's going to be some guys who kind of have those good moments and have those bad moments. You know, Pole came into uh, to Saturday's game in relief, and then after, you know, being just dreadful against UCLA, did a fine job against Arizona. Not a great job, yeah. but he did, 
he did an all right job. And then I, I think you just kind of a product of what you're going to have is you've got guys who are for a moment going to look good. And then, well, maybe they have an off game. They just, they don't have the one stalwart that they can rely on every single game to be excellent. Like they've had in the past with, with a Lucas or Andre Dillard or sure. Cody O'Connell or Cole Madison. Yeah. 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 I, um, I, yes, I think you're right. I'm sorry. Keep going. No, no, that's, I was just going to kind of wrap with that. And I think that's where sometimes the offensive line, you know, struggles a little bit is there's not one guy where it's like, okay, we never have to worry about that guy. He's not going to give up any pressure because any of those guys could at any time crack. I think, okay. I have, I keep asking you about different units, the quarterback, the offensive line. I'm going to ask you about another one here in a second, because I think there's like a bunch of different puzzle pieces, you know, that are sort of working. And I don't think that any one of them is the like, aha, it's this and nothing else. It's this thing that's terrible. Uh, and, 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 you know, but rather I think it's like, like four different things that are each like, there's some good and there's some bad and you have to figure out how they all sort of interlace. And that's what explains why in some games, why zoo looks great and other games they don't. And we're only like halfway through that process. So <laughs> I'm giving you the, the, you know, that's where we're at right now. Yeah, so yeah. Here, here's where, uh, like, if I can offer, like, a little more, um, like, of a, of a nuanced uh, opinion, like, I think that, I, I don't think that the offensive line is just pure trash. Like, I've seen offensive lines that are pure trash, and I don't think that that's what this offensive line is. I think that they may be, I think, number one, you are correct that there's no, like, Abe Lucas on this line. Like, none of these guys, on the other hand, is, like, pure gold either. I also think there are notable splits in the difference between their run blocking and their pass blocking effectiveness where they may be pure trash at run blocking they are no they they have been i mean I, it, it's harsh but that i mean they're be, kind of recruited to be air raid you know well right and yeah. they just they have not done their job in run blocking i mean I, tra trash maybe is a little I don't know if that's excessive. I, I don't, I don't mean as like human beings they are. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm being you. colorful. I, yeah, no, they they have been very poor in run blocking. I think that sort of might color maybe the way that people are looking at them. It is potentially some nuance that we can add to this that's like, hey man, actually, in order to tease out like why this offense sometimes looks good and sometimes looks bad, that like, hey, why don't you tease out pass versus run or pass blocking versus run blocking? Because, you know, hey, guess what? I do that with, you know, my grading system. And it's like, look, you know, I get something like a 30% per play error rate for each one of these linemen in run blocking which is bad but i i get you know in pass blocking it's more like you know a couple of these guys are, are pretty like gomness is like at four percent which is really good now like he's the veteran of the line i would expect that and other guys like it's pretty bad you know like 79 famoe it's like 17 percent, which is you know that's no good man and poly you know but but some of the rest of these guys it's like 10 11 which is that's respectable for a pac-12 offensive lineman i sort of think we can add some nuance there where it's like look man they are going to break down sometimes because they're pac-12 offensive linemen and cam word is going to run around a bit and so that's going to be an adventure 
And so, yeah, man. And so maybe his mechanics are going to break down. Maybe he'll do something dumb on the scramble, or maybe the ball is just going to magically pop out of his hand, like in the Arizona game, like he's Dorian Thompson Robinson and he dipped his hand in Vaseline. Like, what the hell was that? Like, that was crazy. On the other hand, like, I also don't think that it's like you can lay all of it at the feet of the offensive line just getting like absolutely wrecked. Like, it's true that that was happening in the UCLA game, but that was the only game that was happening. And can't just like say, oh, you don't need to worry about Wazoo this year. They have a trash offensive line. Like anybody is just going to knock them over like a set of bowling pins. Like, nah, I don't think that's true. All right. What do you think about that, Jamie? No, I would agree with that. I think last year that was probably the case where it was a prayer or a miracle if uh, if Cam Ward had time more than a few snaps a game. That's not the case this year. They are better than that this year. Um, the issue is, is that, you know, the, it's just, it's again, it's the inconsistency and it's, you know, when things break down, they really break down. Uh, and the UCLA game's a great example, you know, times against Arizona. I, I think there is, there's talent there. I think there's upside. I mean, I think the nice thing for Wazoo is they could conceivably bring back this entire starting line. There's no graduates this year. Mm. Um, so I, I no, think wait, some come on, Gomnus, really? Class of 2019. He's got one more year. No way. 19. Was he? He was. He redshirted. He's redshirt. Oh, my God. You're right. He could come back. Yeah. No, I I actually think. uh, I don't know. He I'm not sure. I haven't. uh, Connor doesn't really talk to the media, so it's hard to get a hard to get a feel. But, yeah, no, he uh, he didn't play in 19, played special teams in 20. Got that year Mm -hmm. back, of course, and then took over the role late in 2021 and then started all every game last year. Oh, that'd be interesting. Okay, so then next factor. Next factor is Ben Arbuckle. Young, you know, he was like a GA like two years ago. Mm -hmm. I thought he called a really good game against Oregon State. Like I said, I'm very skeptical that Oregon State has a good defense. I know they tore Wazoo apart. They tore a lot of teams apart last year. My theory, I don't even really think it's a theory at this point. I think it's just straight up fact that that was a defense that was made up of about a dozen like sixth year seniors, like the COVID year. I'm not saying COVID was good, uh, but I am saying the COVID eligibility holiday was great for Oregon State because it took a bunch of players who like who were who had been like essentially starting since they were freshmen and gave them an extra year. Uh, So it, it was like this super senior laden defense and, and like it finally just all clicked for them. Plus they had like a couple of future NFL players as cornerbacks. Well, all of those guys are gone now. And I, like, I really just think that the, the, their defense is, is just like not a great defense. And, and, and frankly, the Wazoo game that Ben Arbuckle called the, the, the Wazoo versus Oregon state game, you know, I was just like, this is the correct way to play Oregon State. They have no talent left in their secondary. Just throw bombs against them. In those first two drives where it was just like YOLO bomb, (laughs) you know? And it was, first of all, that was the game where I was just like, oh, Cam Ward really has fixed his throwing motion. There was like, there is no way that Cameron Ward was hitting those passes even last year. Right, right. He he wasn't. I mean, the the play on the second player, the throw on the second play of the game to Kyle Williams. Yeah, he, he doesn't get it there. It's either underthrown, it's overthrown. Yeah, uh, that ball was perfect. He made a couple. But it was other a dime. It was an absolute dime, and Kyle Williams just cooked 
the Oregon State defensive back. And they they and it was like six different plays that they had like absolutely cooked him. Arbuckle was calling a confident game full of like deep downfield passes uh, and intermediate passes. It was like put the ball downfield. You know, I, I know the protections, you know, going to hold up. Doesn't even need to hold up that long, really. It was basically the ball was getting out of his hand in like two, two and a half seconds. Like it wasn't this like, you know, long pocket thing. It was I know where the ball needs to go. It needs to go against these crappy DBs. Bam, bam, bam. It was like, yeah, I like this. And in fact, if it weren't for a couple of turnovers in the middle of it, right, it was like touchdown, touchdown, turnover, turnover, touchdown, touchdown. And if it weren't for those like. And if it weren't for those like two tur- turnovers in the middle of the game, it would have been in garbage time, like, like almost like within the, the middle of the second quarter, you know, mm-hmm. like that's how like confident and effective, like of a game plan that Arbuckle was calling. So like, this is the other like big fat puzzle is like, so then the, the UCLA game happens. And I actually like, this is kind of the weird thing is that, uh, I actually think he was calling it like a, a decent game against UCLA, but then they couldn't, first of all, they couldn't protect against UCLA's pass rush, even when they were only rushing three. And second of all, they couldn't stop turning the ball over. And I think that kind of like Arbuckle turtled, like, in, do you know what I mean by turtling? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you uh, agree that just... that's a, an accurate diagnosis of what he did? Yeah, I think there was some, you know, adjustments he had to make where he realized midway through the game, look, we can't go deep. We're not going to have enough time. Um, and I think, you know, you, you did see that a little bit. And then, you know, it came down to in that game, Cam Ward just missed throws. I mean, there's a yeah. handful of, uh, of that, throws. That is true. Yeah, it, Throws Which over is why I keep saying this is like a layered problem. It's not like it's this one thing. It's like mm-hmm. it's like okay, so you have pass protection problems, and you have uh, to some extent, and you have uh, play calling, you know, issues where sort of Arbuckle loses some confidence uh, to some extent, and you have Kim Ward sort of reverting or just missing some throws to some extent. You know, like. Uh, um, you know what I mean? It's like you, you can't just point your finger at one thing. It, it's like the, the, there's these reinforcing layers that conspire to make Wazoo, uh, you know, go from this like, you know, where two weeks ago they're shredding Oregon State to getting shredded. Uh, there, right. I mean, all- I think there, there's a lot of things at hand. I think, you know, you look at the last two weeks and it's been a it's been a collective. It's been wards inconsistencies it's been a couple of injuries it's been the the receivers not gaining separation you know the run game has been largely irrelevant this year the offensive line has struggled you know maybe the play calling it's been a it's been kind of a collector a a, a beautiful storm if you will of of mistakes and and uh and inconsistencies well so then here's the other thing and I sort of understand like turtling against the sort of onslaught of UCLA's pass rush because like, you know, Latu really is a very good, you know, pass rusher. And I, I don't really think that this offensive line had the talent to, to stand up to him. I don't actually think that, that that's another defense that I don't actually think is as good as people are like, uh, I, I kind of think that that defense is statistically overrated due to some well, complex effects that I, I don't need to belabor on this podcast. I just think that they have a good pass rush and, you know, they showed it at a good time. Um, and uh, uh, so, yeah, anyway, um, but I sort of think and I, I, I would like to know your opinion on on this theory, Jamie, 
I think that Ben Arbuckle let UCLA beat them twice because when I was then watching the next week against Arizona, what I was seeing was the turtling continued. And I don't think it was warranted because I don't think Arizona's pass rush was like even one tenth the scariness level of UCLA's. And yet what I kept seeing over and over and over again was was by design, not not Cam Ward like checking down, uh, uh, you know, cowardly. Not, you know, uh, oh, God, the pass rush is coming. I got to get rid of this. Not, But rather, the coming from the play caller, it's, you know, third and 13. What should I do? I should call a screen pass. So many screen passes. It was like, did Eric Morris come back from North Texas uh, and kick Ben Arbuckle out of the booth and start calling it like it was the Utah game last year when it was like, better call another useless screen pass. Do you know what I'm talking about, Jamie? Yes, uh, my brother sent the exact same text to me during the game uh, asking if uh, if suddenly Morris had returned. But no, I mean, I, I, I felt that way a lot. I felt like the, the, some of the play calling and some of the decisions, they, they got a little bit too cute. They They were trying to just you know, I think there was part of it is they were too cute. They they were trying to pull out all the stops and, you know, going forward on fourth down and trying to run the ball with a speed back uh, between tackles. Uh, you know, the two-point conversion when you had all the momentum early. Uh, you know, the double pass with John Mateer, great. Well, he should be results in the recovery. interception, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then I think at the same time, yeah, I mean, there was one play in particular uh, in the first half where it's third and 12 and they throw a – a tunnel, sure, a bubble screen to Lincoln Victor that has yep. no chance of working. and No you know, chance of working. That's play. the thing. Is It's not just throwing screens. It's throwing worthless screens. Like, look at the way the defense is configured. There is a 0% chance that that screen is going to work. Check out of the play, dude. Like, you, this call a timeout if you need to. This is going to be a punt. What are you doing, you know? Right, and I think that... Uh... I think there were some some quite. I mean, you know, you're third and thirty two or something, and you say, "All right, let's just you yeah, know, yeah, just yeah, surrender yeah. the drive." But that but wasn't was, the situation. No, it was third and twelve, and it was a, a situation that they had was, conquered several. And it times wasn't before. just once either; it was multiple times, and it was multiple times when I thought that he was calling uselessly. You know, not just useless plays, but but stupidly counter. You know, overly conservative plays that were never going to work. And that was the thing that was so bizarre was that, you know, I was about, I don't know, I, I had I had very recently watched the Oregon State game where I was like, am I watching the same team? I know I am because both of these games happened in Pullman. Like there's a big red cougar in the middle of the field. Like, like, how could these be the same teams with the same quarterback and the same receivers and the same play caller that I was watching confidently throw bomb after bomb? And then, you know, they play Arizona and and, and it's like now it's time for a useless screen, useless conservative, you know, play. and it was like. What the hell is going on? And the only theory that I could come up with was that he let UCLA beat him twice and that he was like, you know, scarred and, you know, psychologically by Leatu Latu. Uh, 
And it was like seeing phantoms. You know, he was seeing Liatu Latu out of Arizona's pass rush when I don't think that that really existed. And that, like, look, I know that Arizona's, like, you know, drop seven defense had been had done some like some cool things to Washington and USC, but like Arizona wasn't in that defensive structure against, uh, uh, against Wazoo because Wazoo was playing when Wazoo had their tight end or two tight ends in, they were playing a 33 stack defense. Uh, in fact, how Greg Woods for the spokesman review missed that was beyond me. Like, how do you not recognize when Arizona of all teams is in a 33 stack defense? It's like not recognizing Nebraska running the option or, or, or the bulls running the triangle. Anyway, uh, like anyway, like they would go to their like seven DB defense when Wazoo would pull the tight end and go four wide. But like that was on a minority of their plays. If Wazoo kept the tight end in, they would go to 33 and just, you know, and they'd, they'd rush one of the linebackers, but it would be to rush four. They can handle that. Uh, and it was just like conservative play calls, you know, dumb, useless, conservative play calls. And it was so bizarre because I just watched the Oregon State game where it was like, so like, is this the same Ben Arbuckle? What happened? Okay, I've been talking for a long time. I'm sorry about that, Jamie. What's the uh, wh what do you think? Like, like did, did did Ben Arbuckle get kicked in the head by a horse? Like, what happened? You know, I think there was probably a little bit of um, you know hangover from that uh, that Arizona or that UCLA game that you know had them maybe a little bit kind of uh, you know timid or, or worried about what Arizona might bring. You know, I I think part of it too is. There were some execution issues. I, I mean, I think that the plays that there were certain plays that I just I know just from you know in talking to to folks that the, it was supposed to go one way it didn't or it was supposed to do this and yeah. it didn't. Oh. Um, and I saw, but I, I do think that there was something a little bit off with the play calling. Um, and you know, I, I think that it's it's maybe something that comes from a young coordinator. This is you know yeah. that UCLA defense. You know, he hadn't seen anything like that. He hadn't seen a Layatu Latu before and what those guys are capable of. So it's, okay, this is what a Pac-12 defense is going to do. You know, learning on the fly to kind of adjust to that because teams are going to keep doing the same thing. They're going to play man coverage. They're going to force the receivers to the boundaries. They're going to take away the middle of the field. Um, you know, I was talking to, to Alex Brink, the Cougar color commentator, long time, or former Cougar quarterback, and he was talking about, you know, it wasn't so much the rush three drop eight that haunted Wazoo for so many years during the Mike Leach era that, you know, Washington would run to perfection and that mm -hmm. Utah and Cal started to adapt. It, it was more that it would be, you know, three down linemen. You couldn't run against that. That was an issue. But then you get to even, you know, a four or five down linemen or three down linemen, two guys standing up, blitzing from that position. And there's still nothing there because the cornerbacks are forcing the receivers to the sidelines. They're taking away the seams. They're taking away the slants. So I think part of that is defenses adjusted to what Arbuckle was doing. And he hasn't maybe made the necessary adjustments yet to get back to what they were having success with, you know, finding a way to draw the DBs away from that formation, draw defenses away from what they've been doing and reopen up what he wants to do in the middle of the field and down the field. To sort of raise the question of whether or not Wisconsin actually has a good defense if they weren't prepared to defend the air raid, like maybe that's just Big Ten syndrome that might be a potential solution to that problem. Okay, so now the fourth issue in, in my like layers of theories about Wazoo, putting the ball on the ground. The interceptions are sort of actually, you know, the interceptions are kind of painful. The, the Mateer one is bizarre because it comes on a trick play and award through a weird one. But like, actually, the interceptions haven't been that bad. It's the fumbles. 
So here are the numbers on the fumbles. They're real weird. They put the ball on the ground 11 times. I don't mean lost the ball to the other team. I mean, like they've coughed the ball up 11 times, which means 1.83 times per game, which is the fourth worst in the power five. Um, It's a lot. Uh, They have lost seven of those to the other team, which in my experience and pretty much all advanced statisticians, it's 50, 50. Once the ball's on the ground, it's, you know, who comes up with it is a 50, 50 proposition. Um, and, and like, so when you put the ball on the ground 11 times, you would expect to get it either five or six times. So seven is like, it's a little a bit of bad luck, but not like sort of outrageously bad luck. Um, uh, in- interesting side note, Louisville, by the way, has has is is one of the teams that's like really uh, bad for putting the ball on the ground. They put the ball on the ground 13 times, but they've recovered it 10 times. So nobody knows about it. <laughs> yeah. So they they have outrageously good fumble recovery, good r- recovery luck. But like, I don't know, man, you keep putting the ball on the ground like that. Their streak of good fortune may come to an end anyway. So it's probably not the case that it, that that Wazoo's bad fumble recovery luck or slightly bad, you know, uh, fumble recovery luck will continue. But it does appear that they have sort of a ball security issue. Um, let me ask you about that, Jamie, because um, like that, that that is for real. That's like. You know, or potentially, you know, for real. I think it is from from watching film, but I want to know your opinion. Like, I think I'm seeing, hey, ball carriers, you know, five points of contact, please. You know, like, hey, Cam, you need to, you know, keep you when you're scrambling, you need to keep that ball, you know, way more secured because the defensive lineman is going to try to poke it out. You know, um, I, I don't think, in my opinion, it's not been an accident that the ball's been hitting the deck. Um, and that Wazoo really does need to to work on that. Jamie, what is your opinion? I think that's absolutely right. Uh, the ball security has been an issue, and it's you know it, it has changed the the complexion of a couple of games. I mean, the Oregon State game, Wazoo was about ready to put them away. Jalen Jenkins gets the ball knocked out by Calvin Hart. Oregon State recovers. Momentum shifts. Beavers get back in that game. Uh, you know, the UCLA game, the, the Cam Johnson fumble, they're about to go up 17-0 or 17-3. I think it was 17-0. Yeah. Um, People forget that, but that game, that like, Wazoo was moving the ball pretty well against UCLA until the ball would come out. Mm-hmm. Carlos Hernandez loses one. Um, you know, those, those just they shift the momentum. It's not like a, a fir- you know, a first or second drive fumble, and, you know, it, you know, it, it ends up kind of being irrelevant. You know, a couple of those happened against Colorado State. They lose two fumbles. You look at the scoreboard at the end of the day, th- those didn't become an issue. Um, you know, a Cam Ward's fumble late against Arizona didn't matter. That game was in hand. That, that wasn't changing uh, the scoreboard. But there's been a few that have affected the game greatly and have changed the way that it has progressed. And, no, it, it absolutely has been an issue. Yeah, two. Uh, he had two against it. Well, he he put the ball on the ground twice. One, right. he was scrambling, and the defensive lineman poked the ball out. And on that one, Arizona recovered. On another one, he was also scrambling. He goes to throw the ball, and that's the crazy one where it pops out of his hand. But an offensive lineman uh, hops on it, 
uh and so wazoo retains possession although it was like so far back and then he got a stupid like oh my god the ref who threw the flag on that one was so like he was trying to give the ball back to the ref and he just sort of accidentally hit the arizona player with the ball and then it was like on un- through an unsportsmanlike conduct flag on that for like oh it was so i was so mad about that anyway sorry you're right though arizona did not directly get possession from that but effectively you know that ended the drive and they had to punt to them so yeah right and i think you know watching that one from the press box you know he he had he had guys open um i, yeah. I don't know how much the the tv showed but he had a couple guys open down the field and that's where he was looking and then the ball falls out of his hand and i just it was shocking how that how that it happened. Was crazy! And it's not the first time. His first fumble of the year, uh, Wazoo's driving on Colorado State. He just tries to switch hands and drops it. Yep. Um, you know, there's been a couple fumbles. The one, the second one he had against Colorado State, uh, Muhammad Kamara just beats uh, Esapole and then comes from behind and trip sacks him. And that those happen. I mean, even the the one on this uh, in this last game, Bill Norton makes a nice play getting back into the play, knocking the ball out. Uh, in the Oregon State game, it looked like he dropped it in, but uh, I can't remember who it was. Someone got a hand on it, knocked it free. But there's mm-hmm. been a couple where he just drops the football, and, and you're you're left wondering how, how does that happen? And, and it's you know, um, it's one of those things where yeah, the ball security has been an issue, and it wasn't that big of an issue for him last year. His issue was more the the interceptions. Um, they had ball security issues, particularly with with Jalen Jenkins and with Donovan Ollie. But yeah. it was more the interceptions than anything last year, and now it's been a fumble issue. Well, Aaron, hate to say it, but the time machine is broken. I mean, this whole thing was running off the power of your cell phone, and obviously when we hit 1894, there's no longer cell service or Wi-Fi connection, so... Not gonna lie, I did not think this through. God almighty, Adam, what are we supposed to do now? I mean, we're in Eugene, Oregon in 1894. We could check out the very first duck game. Maybe it's a good thing. No, it's not good. Look, we've already been here for about five days, and the very first thing I learned living in Eugene, Oregon, is that shows have been banned that are quote-unquote unchaste and demoralizing. And that's kind of the only kind of content we know how to make Dude. We can review every duck season as it happens. Even the children here are freaky. Then post it on the Quack 12 Patreon in the future. I mean, it's just really hard to not spoil, you know, tragic national events. Imagine it, a weekly show dedicated to Oregon football history with two charismatic time-traveling stoner hosts. We live in the most expensive house in Eugene, And it's a fucking shack. And the most beautiful thing about it? We can charge them a measly five bucks in the future. And when we get it in the past, we'll be freaking millionaires comparatively. And I'm talking robber baron status, baby. Adam, I make bugs fight in a shoebox just to simulate television. All listeners would have to do is go to patreon.com slash quack12 and sign up for hundreds of hours of duck entertainment. But the hooch is good. In fact, it's kind of got me wanting to try my my own hand at it. That's right. For a measly $5 a month, that's patreon.com slash quack12. Now let's go watch them lemon yellows give those hay seeds what for. And keep your eye out for Dr. Schroeder's blueberry wine. So 
so like that those are my four i'll recapitulate uh, i think when number one when stuff starts to get, go a little sideways with cam ward like he, stuff starts to go really sideways uh mm -hmm. you know in terms of his throwing motion breaks down uh he tries to improvise plays and like and, and then a variety of things potentially go wrong um number two is I think the offensive line uh, uh, is pretty bad in run blocking and is uh, um, can get got in uh, in pass protection, although is not, you know, totally got got awful either. So it's not that, you know, it, it needs to be looked at with some new number three is I think that Arbuckle uh, has sort of turtled a bit, you know, after he got burned in uh, against UCLA. And number four is uh, like they've had some ball security problems. And so it's like, I don't think any one of those things explains how how Wazoo goes from like, you know, at the beginning of the year, people were talking about, you know, Wazoo to the playoffs to you know oh they just got blown out i don't think any one you know that that's the puzzle that we're trying to solve here i don't think any one of those factors explains it because each one of those things is like it's a partial thing but i do think sort of like when you sort of matrix all four of them together like yeah now you've got an answer that that's where i'm at jamie do you have uh more to add like do you have a fifth do you have a fifth strand to weave into this tapestry? Uh, I would say just the the ineffectiveness of the run game. We talked about the run blocking, but it's yeah, not yeah. all on the offensive lineman. I think when you've been as ineffective as Washington State has as running the ball, you know some of that does fall onto the running backs. You know, Nikia Watson mm -hmm. has not been as effective as he was last year. He has not had the same uh, breakaway speed. He hasn't had the same acceleration. You know, Jalen Jenkins is extremely quick. He's got talent but he is still struggling to run between the tackles. So you've got running backs, you know, that were productive for you last year, but just have not been able to replicate it. And again, I think there is something to be said about the run blocking. It hasn't been good enough, but at the end of the day, you know, you're asking a running back to pick up a foot, pick up, you know, a yard and they haven't been able to do it. I mean, I watched the, uh, the play that Jenkins gets stuffed on fourth down and it's, it's easy to say from your couch and watch it on highlights, but if he cuts that back out, he's got a ton of room on the left side. He runs into the teeth of the line. Uh, Gomnus was getting pushed backwards, and he gets stuffed. And, and he's not, just because of his size, he's not going to bulldoze through a couple tacklers the way that maybe Watson would or the way that some of these really good running backs do. But I, that just stood out to me that if, if Jenkins cuts that to the outside and, and sees that hole, he's got the first down and more. So I think there is, there's just something that's missing with the running backs right now. And I think that, you know, I'd like to see them – play Dylan Payne a little bit more. I think Payne's a tough runner. I don't know if he's, you know, a Heisman candidate or anything, but he's a he's a tough guy to bring down. He's scrappy. He's had a he's had a few carries against, you know, Northern Colorado and Arizona, granted not exactly, you know, facing Georgia and Alabama, but has looked mm -hmm. good in those carries and to me that's a guy that that deserves a few more touches and just see what you have cuz you got to find something. It's not just the line, it's not just the running backs. It, it, there's some mix that just is not working because they just haven't been able to run the ball. Well, it, the thing that's the, the thing about the run game is that, and, and this is a chicken or the egg issue, is that 
they're just not choosing to run the ball with one exception, which is in third and short situations. And in third and short situations, they're actually pretty good at running the ball. Like they usually convert. Um, in fact, outside of garbage time, they have a better than 80% conversion rate on 30 uh, on, on third and short when they run the ball. Um, uh, it's, it's just that like, uh, that's pretty much the only time when they, when they, when they're, when their frequency of running the ball is at any point above like 33%, you know, every other down and distance situation, it's like more than a two to one pass to run basis. So, but then, like I said, it's a chicken or the egg situation. Do they, do, do they not run the ball because they suck at running the ball or do they, you know, or, 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 or is that like, do, do they not run the ball because they want to just be a passing offense and, you know, they, they've really only just specialized on, you know, in, in short yardage running, you know, uh, I, I don't know the answer to that question. Jamie, do you have an opinion on that? I, I would say actually fairly commonly that they do want to run the ball. I mean, Dickert has mm -hmm. said it a lot. They do it a lot uh, during practice, during camp. Um, they I think they want to run the ball. It's different than the lead year where they, they didn't run the ball effectively because they had no interest in it. Um, and, yeah. and they had running backs who could have done it. Yeah. Uh, I, this team wants to be able to run the ball, but I think the way they're looking at it right now is, you know, we run the ball on first and 10. Uh, you're going to have, I think this is the way our buckles looking at it or Dickert's looking at it is you're going, you're looking at a second and nine, maybe second yeah. and eight at, at best. Well, I mean, I, know, I've got the numbers for you. I can just read them to you. They, they've, they've had 106 outside of garbage time. They've had 106 first and tens. Uh, they've only run on 30 of them about, you know, which is about a 28% frequency rate on those 30 runs uh, that, you know, they've only succeeded on about nine, you know, they, they just don't, they just don't win on their first down runs and they just don't do them that often. Right. And I think that, that, you know, is the biggest contributing factor to the issue is the fact that, you know, they, again, they'd want to do it more, but when you're at what you said, nine to 30, you know, you're succeeding 30% of those first down runs. That's not, a, that's not great odds. I mean, I think yeah. it's, it's a concern that, you know, you put yourself in second and nine. Well, that yeah. that doesn't work in your favor. Put yourself into maybe a second well, and five with a pass. And and I mean that's sort of the other thing about this offense that I've also noted when I break down the down and distance situations is that they really need to be on schedule. They're pretty good at converting like second and shorts, second and mediums. They're very good at converting third and shorts. Actually, they're extremely good at converting third and shorts, but second and long they converted a 43% success rate third and long they convert at a 19% success rate it's like they they if they get behind the sticks just forget it it's going to be a punt like if they take a negative play or even they just don't succeed on first down like that, that the drive's over and so it's like yeah they really need to stay on schedule and so it's like i think they really are i, I mean i think you're you're probably correct they're really just they're probably just terrified uh, of like, you know, we, we can't, we can't afford to try a run on first down because if we don't get it. We'll be behind the, the, the sticks and we can't afford to be behind the sticks. We don't convert at a high enough success rate. You know, it'll be a punt, you know, uh, I, I think that's probably what's going on. What do you think about that, Jamie? No, I, I'd say that is probably the case that they just, 
you know, because I know Dickert looked at a lot of analytics. I know they all do and say, yeah, these are the numbers. If we do this, this and this, and it's not worth the risk of trying to run it on first and 10 because you're probably going to end up backed up and then, you know, you've lost yourself a down. Okay, let's switch over and talk about the defense. Sounds great to me. So yeah, I've been watching Jake Dickert for a while uh, now, uh, even going back to the Wyoming days. I, I do like his defense quite a bit. The thing, uh, the defense has also been interesting in that, like it shifts pretty dramatically on a game by game basis. I mean, they tore Colorado State apart, but I mean, who doesn't? That's like the 121st ranked offense. The the interesting thing Co- to me, Colorado was- doesn't just to answer your <laughs> question there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wisconsin was interesting because like Wisconsin couldn't run on this defense, which like you would expect Wisconsin to be able to to run, but they couldn't. The other thing that was interesting was, you know, when I was doing my offseason preview about Wazoo, I was really like I was really worried about the interior of the defensive line because it was like, oh, no, guys, you know, where where did all the interior defensive linemen go? Like you guys are going to be relying on like freshmen here. And then when I was watching, I was sort of been like, actually, this has been okay. Like, it's not been like, I, I don't know, they're not the 85 Bears or anything, but I was sort of expect, I was sort of thinking when I was watch, going to watch the Wazoo tape, I was going to watch them get blown off the ball constantly. And like, that's not what I've seen. Uh, you know, they got the late edition from the Colorado guy, Naeem Rodman. Um but but also, you know, some of the other guys, they, you know, they brought in like a, you know, number 60, Dave Gusta. Um, I don't think he was as good last year as he's been this year. And number 88, the, the freshman, Lefau, has been better than than I think he has any right to be as a true freshman. You know, I, I actually, you know, thought that they, they've been OK in the interior of the line. I've always liked uh, what Dickert's done with the the, the edges, you know, uh, Jackson and Stone. I think probably the cat's out of the bag about those guys at this point. I was raving about them in 2020 uh, before anybody else was. But like, I think everybody sort of knows about them now. But like the other guys, too, like Edson and Roth. I was I was glad I finally got to see Roth again in, in the, the Arizona game. I think he'd been out with like an injury or, or something like he came back with that, like uh, like the, the cyberpunk prosthesis on his left arm. So I guess it was like a left arm injury or something, or I don't know, maybe he has like a monofilament whip installed or something. And then he sort of got hurt running down a tight end on a wheel route, but then he came back in. Actually, I'll, I'll pause there for a second. What's the story with Quinn Roth? Is he healthy? What, what's the deal? Yeah, I, 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 there was, I think he came back into the game after that, uh, that injury, this the second injury. I think he just got a little nicked up. Um, okay. You know, they asked Dickert about injuries Monday, didn't say anything about Roth. We'll check with him again tomorrow, but. There, there's no indication. I don't think that he will that he won't play. Yeah, the the first one it was just he got hurt against Wisconsin. Uh, I was a well, I think a, I don't I don't know exactly what Dicker didn't specify what exactly what it was, but some kind of shoulder left arm injury. He was in a sling for a little bit, um, and then uh, you know re, rehabbed it and then was good to go for uh, for Arizona. So yeah, he he's back, and I think that's uh, it's a nice addition to the depth of the edge because he is a really good number three edge to have. It was, it's cool too because I think he's, he was unrated out of high school, you know, and uh, yeah, I, yeah, I you know I've always liked that guy, and uh, and it was cool because like I think that like the first play he came back in against Arizona because he like he didn't show up until like I don't know I think at some point in the second quarter, but like the first point that he was in, first snap that he was in, he like immediately crushes the right tackle back into Noah Fafita, uh, you know, and I was like ah, there's my guy, <laughs> it's like I missed you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> So, it was, you know, it was good to see him back. And yeah, like people talk about Jackson and Stone, like they finally discovered these guys like two, 
two years after I did. And, and I mean, was I mean, Jake Dickert found him first. I not me, I know, but like I feel like I was the first person who was not in Pullman who was writing about like, hey, everybody, you know, uh, Dickert came in and he totally reshuffled how this line operates, and they have a couple of edges here who are way better than they have any right to be and it's actually like it you know the the defense makes way more sense now you know and people are like what are you talking about but wazoo never has any good defense i know they're really good and they've been good you know for like three years now it was crazy you know and on top of that like i i think that roth and edson like not much fall off, you know, for, for Roth and Edson, you know, after Jackson and stone, like, I think they've got like a full on good rotation, uh, you know, for like edges, you know, it's like just straight up good. And I think it like really drives the defense. And in fact, it's really obvious when you do the, like the down distance computations, when you, when you look at like short yarded situations versus long yarded situations in long yarded situations where the offense forgoes the opportunity to rush, then the defense gets to pin its ears back and just rush the passer. And so the pass rush is operational and like Wazoo does really, does really well. Uh, uh, you know, they have like a 78% success rate defensively on third and long. Um, uh, uh, on the other hand, they have like an 11% success rate on third and short, because that's when the, the, the edges have to like, you know, set the edge, contain the run, you know, and, and with that sort of, and like these have been similar numbers going back to 2020 for four years. Now it's been the case that when the edges get to do edge things, they kick butt when they have to like set the edge and let the pass defense be entirely done by the secondary, the, 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 the pass defense numbers like fall into the toilet, which tells me that it's all about the edges and not much about the secondary. I'll stop there for a second. Jamie, does that match up with your observations? Do you want to push back on that? No, I, I think th there's a lot of accuracy in that. I think, you know, you you've the way these guys have developed, I mean, I, I think back to 2020 and, you know, they were, they were hyping up the team on, on Instagram before the season and, uh, um, you know, for the shortened season. And I remember there was an Instagram post, you know, talking about Brennan Jackson. And, you know, at that at this point I wasn't uh, – I was just working part-time for, for Cook fan covering basketball. So I, I didn't – I didn't know the deep intricacies of the team. And I'm like, Brennan Jackson, like he, he hasn't done anything yet. And then he shows what he can do. And um, Stone was a guy. Yeah, Stone showed, showed a lot in 2019, um, back when I had my final year as a student. And uh, I, I always thought that he, he was going to have the upside that he did. But Jackson kind of really burst onto the scene in 20. Edson's a guy in, in 21 where, you know, they, they sign he during that COVID class. And everyone's looking at him like, who the heck is this kid from Snoqualmie? Um, you know, small town and not, not a small town of Washington, about uh, 15 minutes from where I'm from in Sammamish, about 30, 40 minutes from Seattle, doesn't have any other real offers. Like, and you know, he, in his first year, uh, knocks Keaton Slovis out of a game against USC, mm -hmm. which then entered Jackson dart and proceeded to be a USC blowout. But, mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, I, I think they have that depth and I think, you know, th there's a lot of capability too, that hasn't even been seen yet. I mean, you ask a lot of guys on the staff, a lot of guys in the room, and they'll tell you that Isaac Terrell, one of their true freshmen who's gotten into a couple games, he's got the highest upside of anybody in the room. And I'm not hmm. personally saying that, but that's just what what, T, or what people have said that, he. I mean, he's got the opportunity to be great. They're missing Lawrence Falatea, who's a really athletic pass rusher. He um, tore his ACL in fall, yeah, fall camp, tore his ACL in fall camp, and then haven't seen a ton of Ram Stevenson, who is going to be a guy when Stone and Jackson graduate next year that'll – probably be in pretty big uh, contention for one of those starting roles alongside uh, with Roth and it's, and they'll be all kind of in that mix. 
In 2022, I think a big part of why the defense was as good as it was had to do with some linebackers who, frankly, I didn't see coming. Like, I, I really feel like when I wrote my 2022 preview, I kind of blew it in that I had written off guys like uh, Francisco Maigoa and uh, Travion Brown and Diane Henley. Uh, uh, well, Henley was a, a transfer in, so I didn't know anything about him, you know, frankly. But Maigoa and Brown, you know, it's sort of been eclipsed by like, like Wazoo had like a, but like, grad student linebackers who'd been there forever you know and like i barely seen those guys at all and, I, and and so then when like finally they got to you know got their their time in the sun you know those linebackers all turned out to be pretty good um so then immediately henley gets drafted uh in the third round by the chargers my goa gets poached by miami and brown gets poached by asu uh so it's sort of like been restart all over again um let me pause for a second have I got all that right? Yep, yep. The, the especially right. the poaching part. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah no, uh, I don't think anyone you're saying you know you, on your preview. I don't think anyone expected Henley to be as good as he was. I mean, we saw it even in spring ball and fall camp. We're like, you know, as as writers, like, okay, this guy's gonna be pretty good. And then the, the as good as he became was stunning. And then the same is true with mine. Go. I mean, he had he had shown a lot during uh, his freshman year, like some huge upside, but was a sloppy tackler, um, yeah. was just kind of a physical freak more than he was a good linebacker. And by the time he came back for his second year, had been totally refined. And I think they miss him as much as anyone this year in the middle of that defense. I mean, Henley, obviously, they missed, but they knew they weren't getting him back. I think they were hopeful uh, Mingo would be back. And, uh, you know, his presence is, is sorely missed. Yeah. So, I I, I mean, yeah, that's basically my take. I, I actually think, you know, a moment ago, uh, you know, when I said, you know, the past defense is all about the the edges and is not about and, and, and the secondary all sucks. I, I misspoke. I shouldn't have said the secondary. What I should have said was the past coverage, because I actually think that the secondary um, and, and more specifically the cornerbacks, I, I think Shao Smith Wade and Cam Lampkin, the cornerback um, have been doing a pretty good job. I have more of a problem with some of the safeties like, Sam Lockett in particular, but setting that aside for a moment where I do think that Wazoo does have sort of a, a big structural vulnerability in their pass defense in coverage is these linebackers. I, I just really, I feel like this has been a real step back compared to last year. Kyle Thornton, number 52. And, and then uh, it looks like the primary guy that they've selected to be the other starter is Devin Richardson, the, the Texas New Mexico State dude. But I've also seen Tariq Aluta bit. And I just, man, you know, what, what's happening a lot, what I notice is that I, the secondary is doing basically their job. And I th also think it's sort of like the structure of Jake Dickert's defense is like whenever the camera pulls back and shows us the whole field, I'm seeing like, oh, actually, the secondary is doing an OK job of like taking away the deep ball. But the, the underneath stuff is open and the quarterback just checks it down to a pretty basic like underneath throw against the linebackers. And it's like the linebackers are are nowhere to be found and then the dude just like he takes a five yard pass and he takes and he takes it another 20 yards that's what i keep seeing over and over again i'll stop there jamie what's your take on on that no i i think you hit the nail on the head and it's actually something that uh, kind of going on an article about this week of you know oh, really? is there a is there well, a shit, uh, why do i need to write my article i'll just crib yours <laughs> Is there a a spot for Al to, to get more of a role in coverage? Because he, you know, he, he's inexperienced, and I'm sure there would be mistakes. But 
He's got the speed. He's got the athleticism to close a lot quicker, which I think has been somewhat of an issue. And I think guys like Thornton and Richardson, you know, they're, they're not bad football players. Right? I mean, they're, they're fine players, but I think they lack the explosive playmaking ability that Wazoo relied so heavily on last yeah. year with, um, with mine going and with Henley. And even the year before, I mean, I don't know if you'd put Jihad Woods and, and Justice Rogers into the, the super playmaker category, but they were athletic enough. They were extremely experienced. They had yeah. incredible IQ um, that they could make enough they plays. They were at least they, experienced. You know, <laughs> they, were, they were certainly experienced. Well, it was like exactly. six years it was. Um, and they could make some of the plays that, you know, that maybe the, the average linebacker didn't make just because they knew um, so much of where the play was going. I, I just think that, you know, Richardson and Thornton are experienced, but there hasn't been there hasn't been the impact plays from those two guys that you would have hoped from your linebackers. Do you do you think the way that I'm characterizing it as, you know, the the secondary, in particular the cornerbacks, are more or less doing their jobs, but they keep getting undone by the quarterback being able to to throw underneath routes and then against the linebackers and then oh no not only was the guy open but the guy has room to run you know another you know for significant yards after the catch do you do you think i'm capturing that correctly i think there is definitely some truth to that uh, i do think that a lot of where wazoo has been gashed in the passing game has been underneath um you know there there have been times where where someone gets beat over the top uh, lampkin more often than smith wade mostly because mm-hmm. smith wade doesn't get beat deep very often but I do think where Washington State has struggled. I mean, if you look at look at the the Arizona game, you know, Noah Fafita had a great game, but he wasn't just letting bombs go and beating everyone over the top. It was crossing rounds. No, he really wasn't. Patterns. I mean, the big play came on uh, just a little dull, or a crossing round from Jonah Coleman. Yep. Uh, Thornton's coming across the field, gets caught up with a couple other bodies, and and Coleman's wide open, and that kind of sets the stage for what the rest of the game would look like. So. I think that underneath is where they're getting attacked and, and credit to some of the quarterbacks they're playing a, of uh, identifying that, but they really aren't getting beat with the, the long ball. I mean, I look at, you know, the, the 2019 Coop team that they just, just run a streak route. They weren't going to be able to cover anyone. Um, whereas this team, it's more the middle of the field, the short pass, you know, they're trying, they're, they're selling out to not get beat under deep, but it's giving or not get beat deep, but it's, it is giving up that, that short route, that underneath route and it is created problems. What do you think in terms of the about the safeties uh, in coverage? Like I, I um, you know, they returned uh, uh, both Jaden Hicks and Sam Lockett um, from last year. I know they had like a big uh, a duke it out session for the nickel um, position because sort of bizarrely, both Armani Marsh and like his understudy, the other Armani uh, Archie left. But I, I want to talk about them separately. What have you thought uh, over the years about Hicks and Lockett? You know, I think Lockett, he's an interesting one. I think he struggled early last year, um, and then I thought towards the end of the season, he started to kind of find a rhythm. Um, you know, he, he's kind of their big play guy in the sense of that he he gets in, or I mean, he's their interception guy, or so it has been the last couple of years. Um, I think Hicks is still, is still young, and I think you see that sometimes, but I also think you see signs of just a really good playmaker uh, I mean, I, I look at some of the early you mean in games terms of tackling, season. right? In terms of tackling, and uh, you know, pick six against Colorado State, 
uh, a sack against Wisconsin and a huge hit on a play over the middle, a block kick against UCLA. He's kind of their go-to guy where they need a big play and he's there to deliver. And, you know, I, I think he's the type of guy that, you know, he's that strong safety that doesn't just sit back. He's the strong safety who comes up and he makes plays in the backfield and he does a little bit of everything. And I think there is, again, there's still a little bit of inconsistency with him because he's young. Um, you know, this is only his third year in the program and he barely played his first year, but I think he's the type of guy who has been an X factor for them in some of these games they've won, you know, and I think Lockett, again, there's been games where he's looked solid and there's been games where he has struggled. So I, I think he's one of those guys that, you know, he, he's decent back there, but maybe not outside of the interceptions, maybe not the biggest playmaker in the world, you know, not a guy that's going to kill you by being back there, but maybe not a guy that's going to completely change a game uh, by being back there. Yeah. I, I, I've just always had, you know, questions about his athleticism. I just don't like, I think, I think a lot of Pac-12 quarterbacks pick on him because he's just, he's not athletic enough. And like, that's, which is like a problem at free safety, you know, Nickelback, like I said, you know, a, a, a big, you know, knockdown drag out uh, in spring ball. It looks like Lada Mua wound up winning number 30. But I've also seen Gushikin, I think the Juco who came in, he got the one of uh, 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 Dante Moore's many pick sixes, I believe. I think that's it. I, I think that's the order. Do I have that right? Yeah, to a degree, yeah. I mean, they they have been pretty even um, on their snap counts. I think I looked this morning, and I think it's Gushikin's at 220 and a lot of you is at 202 or something like that. So oh, really? they really, I mean... Yeah, so coaches. I feel like I've been seeing like way more than 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 that, huh? Okay, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And coaches talk all the time about how, um, and I will say, I feel I think Lotomu has played more as of late. His snap counts have gone up as of late. Gushkin played more early, but I think coaches talk about all the time is, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna split duty with these guys, and and a lot of times they're just they're full of it. But this Mm -hmm. has really been like a a legit platoon, and, and I think there's. There's aspects where both have had their their moments. I think Gushkin's probably the better coverage guy. I'd say Lotomu is probably the better run defender, the better guy for the more uh, the more physical battle and so on. Pass defense sort of makes sense to me. The one thing that I noticed that's kind of interesting is there's a big discrepancy about uh, rush efficiency versus rush explosiveness, where this defense tends to give up efficiency runs. They're actually pretty far underwater um, at only about a 43% defensive success rate. Um, so like, you know, y- y- you can convert third downs, you know, against this defense when you're running the ball. However, this defense has looked pretty good at preventing you from getting big chunk yards in the run game. I know they gave up, they've given up a few. It's just is you know some of them have looked pretty bad but like actually if you just run out the numbers it's not that often they they only give up about like uh, 12% of opponents runs gain 10 plus yard which is a pretty good number first of all Jamie have you noticed something similar and second of all what do you attribute that to you, usually there's not so big of a split you know usually when teams give up efficiency runs they also tend to give up explosive runs what do you think that's about I think you know I was uh, I was just looking at this earlier to just kind of um, you know just kind of to, to affirm a point I have their run defense is it's very the stats are interesting on it because uh, you know I, I look at for example um, they gave up a, a chunk of yards against Northern Colorado um, a lot of those yards came 
with the game well in hand and you know you yeah. got the eighth and ninth stringers I, in. Um, I'm not but but just let me when I the numbers that I recited they don't include the FCS games. So oh okay okay yeah. um outside of that uh again it, there's you know they, they give up some chunk runs you know there's times where they give up a, a big run it's not so much the, the 70 to 80 yard run they really haven't been hit by that but you know as you mentioned there's been some 10 to 15 yards you know but I even look at a game like uh, like UCLA Carson Steele rushes for 140 yards it comes on 30 carries so it wasn't like he was you know, insanely efficient, averaging 15 yards a carry or anything. Um, you know, they did a good job against Damian Martinez of Oregon State, struggled a little bit with Deshaun Fenwick. Um, you know, this past week was kind of really the the outlier of they just looked horrible defending the run in, in every phase. And I think there's a lot uh, to do with that just as the game wore on and you're down 30 points, 40 points, and so on. Um, you know, I, I just I think there – and it dates back to last year. There's, there's some inconsistencies with the run game. At time it looks great, or at times it looks great. At other times, it it leaves some to be desired. So, um, you know, again, the home runs haven't hurt them. It's been a, a lot of the chunk plays or so on. Uh, yeah, no, the the uh, the well, the thing that's really interesting to me is watching like how the defense like there are certain types of run plays that they're really good at defending, you know, most like if you're trying to run really far laterally, because I think this defense has like a, a speed advantage. Um, uh, uh, you know, so if like if you start signaling that you're running a particular way that this defense is like, well, I'll just run that same way, but faster than your offensive lineman can. So I'll beat you to the play and shut it down like they have a very high success rate against like that type of run. On the other hand, if you you can power block them right up the middle and you can also like cut block them or I mean, uh, excuse me, cut back them, you know, so like you start running laterally, but then you cut back and you know wazoo has like run themselves out of the play like oh my god oregon state did those are the fenwick runs that you're talking about like oh my god they wrecked wazoo uh, on those runs because it's sort of like that's that's what wazoo is trying to do they're trying to like beat you to the play and then if you like change what the play is in the middle of the play they're like oh no what happened <laughs> you know and the running back right. is, is zooming right past them and it's sort of like I mean, that's the poison that Wazoo has picked, you know, that they've just picked like, well, we're just going to run faster than you to where we think the play is. And if we were right about where the play is, then we blow your ass up. But if we were wrong about where the play is like, oh, no. Mm -hmm. mm. All right. Those are all my uh, my questions. Jamie, you've been a good sport. Thank you very much. Yeah. No, I appreciate you guys having me on. Absolutely, Jamie. And uh, that is, of course, Jamie Vinnick of KoogFan.com, which is uh, something you should be following on Twitter, aka X, I guess, uh, at KoogFan, spelled out com. Uh, also, at Jamie Vinnick, J A M E Y V I N N I C K 9 on Twitter as well. Jamie, just know, I mean, of course, we're rooting for the Wazoo because. I mean, you're one of the final Pac-12 teams that exists. And with Very all this, uh, yeah, with all this college game day shit. And, you know, I know we're one of the knives that stabbed the Pac-12 to death. But uh, just know we're, we're rooting for a big upset. Not this Saturday, but certainly at the end of the regular season, you'll have our, our full support. <laughs> Very, yeah, figured so. 
Uh, really nice talking to you, Jamie. Yep, you guys as well. Enjoy the rest of your night. Take care, man. All right.